Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 1st, 2018. On today's show, we're going to go into the spoiler room, and we're going to discuss some questions we have about Avengers Infinity War, or at least questions I have. Um, so if you have yet to see the film, uh, you might want to pause this and keep this for a later time. Uh, sorry, this is all that everybody's talking about right now, and we will also... Um, Talk about uh, some of the, the reactions because we have some people on here that were not here on Friday to tell us about their thoughts on uh, on the film. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? Writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. Okay, guys, let's just get into it. Again, spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. I have compiled a, a list of questions here that just came up to me. Or it came to me over the weekend. I wanted to uh, see what you guys thought. Um, actually, before we get to the questions, let's, let's get to your reactions because uh, HT, uh, you know, you've been away at the Tribeca Film Festival. I have not mm-hmm. heard your thoughts on Avengers: Infinity War. W- what did you think? So, I I really enjoyed Avengers: Infinity War in the moment. And there were a lot of great moments in Infinity War. And I feel like that was a lot of what Infinity War was. It felt like a collection of really compelling, really jaw-dropping moments that, you know, made me cheer, made me cry, made me laugh. Well, maybe not made me cry. Um, they were P- so Peter fun Parker to watch. didn't make you cry? Like, I, I had some tears. I didn't I? cry. And, you yeah. you know, this is it was very strange to me because I cry a lot during movies and for some reason, a lot of the emotion in this film sort of rang a little hollow for me. And I wonder if it was just because the movie was just so jam-packed. It didn't have room for the emotional moments to breathe. Uh, but I felt like, you know, even though I love these characters and I know these characters and have been with them for a while, it just felt like kind of a series of cool moments after the other without a moment for the story and the characters to just, like, stay with those moments. If you know what I mean. Yeah. But um, yeah, I it was fine. It was a really enjoyable blockbuster film. Um, but it felt to me almost like 
like it had to happen. Like <laughs> I was watching it and then and it didn't feel like a movie unto itself as much as just like everything has been building up to these specific character moments and these specific fan service worthy moments that were really exciting to watch with a huge crowd. But I'm not really sure how much rewatch value it really has or whether it stands alone as a film. But in the end, I thought it was it was solid and it did what exactly what it was supposed to do. And I actually really admired the way that they the Russo brothers um, structured this film because they were juggling so many characters. And I felt like each of the characters mostly had their time to shine, except for maybe uh, Cap's team back on Earth. Um, but we did get, you know, some sort of full character arcs and a surprising amount of depth coming from Thanos, which was really uh, surprising to me. And I actually did find the more emotional moments coming from Thanos's backstory and Thanos's like, um, and Josh Brolin's motion capture acting from behind Thanos, which um, I was really impressed with. Uh, but yeah, it was... Um, I think it was, I would say it was a mixed bag for me. It wasn't something that I think stayed with me as much as Black Panther did or as even Thor Ragnarok did. Hmm. Uh, I, I can say this much. I, I've seen it a second time and I think it, it does grow on you a little bit uh, seeing it uh, subsequent times. Um, but uh, Chris, you were not on our podcast on Friday. You wrote this big spoiler review on the site calling it a partially successful blockbuster. Uh, what did you think of the movie and, uh, what, what was the, the best and worst parts of it? Uh, uh, for the most part, I liked it. It was an entertaining film. Um, it also felt like half of a movie to me, um, which I guess it really is because part, part four is essentially going to be, you know, infinity war part two. It really felt like, uh, to me, it felt like the film was really just starting to get going at the very end. And I actually, as you know, as everyone was starting to disintegrate, I actually thought there was still like a half hour left in the film, so I, I wasn't quite caught off guard. I was like, "Oh, this is fine. They're gonna they're gonna figure it out sooner or later." But they, uh, uh, yeah. So it caught me off guard. Can you hear my dog barking? Yes. yes Sorry. Uh, you, you know, uh, it did remind me a little bit of um, Game of Thrones. <laughs> now, stay with me, guys. Um, you know, Game of Thrones. I'm not a big fan of Game of Thrones. I know uh, other people on this podcast love it, uh, but I think like every episode, there's like you know, ten, twenty minutes at the end that are awesome, and the rest of it, like you know, is all these factions that are split apart, and we're cutting between them, all these different families and things. And throughout the season, you're waiting for everything to come together, like you know, in a big epic way in the end. And I feel like, um, you know, in this movie, they almost don't come together. Like actually, there's they don't right. Like the, all the characters do not collide. We we interestingly don't even see Steve Rogers and Iron Man back together since the events of Civil War. By the end of this movie, um, so it, it's actually interesting in that way. Um, what what is your favorite and least favorite parts of this movie? Uh, my my favorite is really I, I'd say just the humor. There's a lot of good humor in the film. Mostly um, anything involving the Guardians of the Galaxy. I really liked. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy films are my personal favorite uh, MCU films, both one and two. And so anytime the film focused on them, I really just sort of like was really, really into it. It was funny. Um, and adding Thor to the mix was a great choice, too, because you know, as Ragnarok showed, Thor has become sort of 
the funniest Avenger. So he worked really well in that environment. Um, Aside from it being the first part of a two-parter, which I can see people thinking that as a negative, what would you say the, the biggest problem with the film is? I didn't really think any of the action was coherent. I, uh, I know I, I'm in the minority here, but I don't really think the Russo brothers are good action directors. I, I think they're very good at drama. They're very good at, at the comedic moments because they're from a comedic background. I don't think they're very good at directing action, which is strange because they've been, you know, handed the keys to the the MCU kingdom here, which is very action driven. But I, I tend to think they shoot a lot of action very close up, very blurry, and it's almost see. But I, I usually like that. I usually I like, I like what they did with Winter Soldier and that that airport sequence in in uh, Civil War was just fantastically character driven action. That like seemed like it was probably all animatic'd out, you know, years in advance of shooting. Um, but I'm in agreement with you this uh, on this film. There wasn't like a, an action scene that I'm like, I need to go see that action scene again. Yeah, exactly. Like I felt like for a movie like this, it should have had a big show-stopping action sequence, and I really don't think it had that. I mean, I guess the ending you know in Wakanda is sort of big and you know uh, but even that just felt very I don't know it felt like stuff I had seen in a dozen different movies before I I wanted something just a little bit new but again let me just underline this before people write in into the podcast and say get that guy off the air he hates everything I didn't hate I didn't hate this movie I thought it was pretty (laughs) good so please do not accuse me of hating this movie yeah yeah um, ben, we, we already heard your brief reaction on Friday, but you wrote up this piece on the site, uh, Avengers Infinity War is about emotional terrorism. And I'm wondering if you could uh, give us the gist on that. What, 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 do you, what does that mean? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this, and I think the idea of like actual, I guess, traditional terrorism has been something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has really used as a plot point since its be- its very beginning. Like the opening scene of Iron Man begins with uh, a caravan being bombed, and that is what sort of kicks off this whole thing and really, uh, you know, leads Tony Stark to become Iron Man. So ten years later, the idea of the MCU transitioning more from traditional acts of terror, which are more like a, like existential threats to something that I called emotional terrorism, which is like basically a threat that's far more personal uh, was sort of interesting to me. So I wrote this piece about it and it really boils down to this movie putting all of its characters or a, a lot of its characters into almost impossible decisions that they have to make um, often between a loved one, the survival of a loved one on one hand, or the survival of a universe on the other hand, and how the different characters react to that choice, and how they, um, you know, stand in the, and become heroic in the face of these really, uh, really heart wrenching decisions that they have to make. So you can read more about that there, but yeah, that that's essentially the gist of the piece. Um, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on. I, I know I was listening to David Chen. Uh, he he recorded a, a video cast with his wife, and he had a big problem with the idea that the Avengers wouldn't sacrifice that one life for you know half the universe. Do you know what I mean? That like that could have prevented everything from not happening. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? 
So, I, I mean, I think that Scarlet Witch uh, did sacrifice that one life. She's the one who actually was able to pull it off. And then Thanos, in one of, I think, the most cruel acts in the entire movie, uses the Time Stone to undo her decision. I mean, that is like, I have not given a crap about Scarlet Witch and Vision in any of the upcoming movie or the, the leading preceding movies. But uh, the way that this story concentrated on Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff and, and Paul Bettany's vision in this movie really actually almost kind of tricked me into caring about their relationship because they did <laughs> such a good job of, of putting, uh, letting her do a lot of the heavy lifting there. And it, it all b- builds to the scene where she has to kill vision in order to prevent Thanos from getting the mind stone. And she actually does it. I mean, she's in love with this guy or Android or whatever you want to call him. And she has to obliterate him of her own free will in order to save the universe. And Thanos rips that away from her by reversing time and then taking it anyway. And then uh, Peter Quill and Gamora have sort of a similar situation when I think they're on nowhere and Thanos captures Gamora And right before this, we see this sequence where Gamora convinces Quill to kill her if Thanos ever takes her hostage. And it's this really heartbreaking moment where they're standing there eye to eye and they know what has to be done. They profess their love to each other and Quill pulls the trigger like he actually would have done it had Thanos not used the reality stone to turn his laser blast into worthless bubbles. So, uh, I, I, mean, I, I, I wonder not... if the prop master had to build a version of that blaster that actually produces bubbles or if that was a, <laughs> uh, just a completely CG, uh, effect. Yeah. I don't know. That would be funny. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't seen, uh, David's, uh, video review yet. So I'm not sure if he talks about all the Avengers, but I think at least two of them, um, or at least two of the, the major Marvel characters, I don't know if you could call star Lord an Avenger yet, but, um, the two of them actually, you know, try to go through with it. So I, I think they, they make the tough choice in an effort to save the universe, but Thanos, uh, isn't having it basically. It, they make it too late is the problem. Um, Although with the time stone at the end, is there a too late? Um, I don't know. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, actually one of our writers, uh, Vanessa Armstrong, uh, went and sat through a 30 hour marathon of uh, the Marvel films leading up to Avengers Infinity War. And I was hanging out with her this weekend, or in her husband, and uh, she mentioned that uh, Elizabeth Olsen's accent uh, throughout the movies gets like less and less in, in right. Infinity War. It's 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 not as deep as it was in, you know, her introduction in Ultron, which I thought was an interesting observation coming from someone who, you know, sat in a seat for 30 hours and watched most of the Marvel movies leading up to this. <laughs> um, but okay, so guys, I I've uh, now that we've gone through some reactions and stuff, uh I I do have some questions for you. Um this is something I was thinking of. Uh, I know HT, you are a big fan of Agents of Shield. Yes. Agents of Shield. What? Although I will admit, I have not watched most of this season. Okay. Why? Why is that? <laughs> I, I just kind of dropped off, and I was not as interested in this sort of plot line, which took them far into the future. Which might actually answer the question that you have. Oh well, that, that you're that about is, to ask. That is the question I have because. The Marvel television series are really not that connected with the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, you know, Jeff Loeb runs the TV and Kevin Feige runs uh, the movies and uh, they they don't work together that well or that often. Uh, and, um, 
you know, traditionally, you know, the movie things that happen in the movies aren't even referenced in the TV show. So I was wondering, how is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. going to ignore the events of that Infinity War twist? Yeah, like. Captain America Winter Soldier played a huge part in Avengers, um, not Avengers, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, early season. And it kind of helped sort of revamp the show to to become uh, the better series that it is now. Uh, but it ever since then and ever since Thor, The Dark World, there the references to the MCU have been getting more and more minimal until like the most the biggest reference they had to Doctor Strange wasn't even a reference just some sort of uh, like a plot line that was vaguely magic related but uh, the most recent season sort of took them on this uh, sort of it's been very like time jumping they've they at the beginning of the season they kind of the team got uh, pushed all the way to hundreds of years in the future uh, in which I'm going to say some spoilers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the world has been destroyed and um, the rest of humanity is living in this uh, space station, essentially, and it's enslaved by the Kree. And this is only one of the potentials of potential futures, I think. So this is um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team is kind of brought to try to maybe stop this future or help the people in the future at some point. Um, Though I do think, I was kind of reading up on this before this episode, that they end up going back to their current time. And uh, as of now, they're in some sort of massive bunker named the Lighthouse. And um, there was like a small reference to events happening in New York in the last episode, which may have been tied to the beginning of Avengers Infinity War. But if the next few episodes are like, kind of run concurrently with the events of Infinity War, then we may finally see what actually happens. But as of now, since they're in this sort of massive bunker that has the ability to shield them from apocalyptic or alien attack, they might just like avoid it altogether or not learn about the events until after the fact. Because I think there was some sort of um, little plot twist in which they accidentally set off some sort of uh, alarm and shut themselves in this bunker for like, time being so they might just like actually shield themselves from the events of um the end of infinity war interesting um Mm -hmm. i don't know i it it would be i feel like there's no way to avoid this i mean there was no way to avoid the uh you know shield basically be uh, what do you call it uh splitting up i guess yeah yeah disintegrating essentially yeah um Okay, so another question I had for you guys is um, some, I saw some people on Twitter complaining about spoilers, as they, as they often do, um, and they were complaining that some sites were running, uh, you know, headlines on uh, Peter Dinklage's, or Peter Dinklage's uh, Avengers Infinity War character revealed, right? And it didn't say anything about what the character was in the, the headline, but people were angry that headlines spoiled the fact that there was a cameo appearance from Peter Dinklage in the movie. Uh, is this a spoiler? I, I thought his casting was announced, you know, two years ago. This is definitely not a spoiler. His name is on the poster. So uh, like the, you know, the, the big group shot poster where they're all standing around at the very bottom, there's a, a, a list of cast members and his name is there. So, uh, there's no way that that's a spoiler. So anyone complaining about that is is being a bit silly. 
Okay, let's move on to our next one. I think you, you, you've answered that quite fully. Uh, and that is, um, you know, at the end of this movie, when people start disappearing, being erased from this universe, uh, some of the last two people are Spider-Man and Black Panther. And I've we, we actually got a couple emails with people like uh, questioning if they did not follow movie news as well, then they would have had a better experience because they wouldn't know that there's another Spider-Man movie in the works, that there's another Black Panther movie in the works, um, which I think is just ridiculous to argue for, uh, uh, you know, to, to not have that knowledge. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering if you guys, because when I was in the movie and coming out of the movie thinking about this, I was like, oh, obviously, you know, they're going to have to correct this universe uh, because they have these movies coming up. Uh, but... T- do you think that those characters were intentionally erased last to kind of like give that hint to audiences? I, I almost feel like, you know, when Spider-Man disappears, you got to kind of ask yourself, oh, they're not going to make any more Spider-Man movies. Oh, like if I'm just a general, you know, audience goer that is not following movie news like I that kind of like gives me hope that, you know, there's going to be more to the story. What do you guys think? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it would be hard to argue the hypotheticals of uh, in this alternate world where we never knew any of the movie news and Marvel kept a tight lid on all of the contracts, then maybe this would have worked better. Um, and I don't really know about like the, well, I think that maybe Spider-Man and Black Panther were left last because they're, char- they're the newest characters that we have the most emotional resonance with. And even Spider-Man gets like this sort of long goodbye scene that no one else gets, uh, which was um, which I think kind of milked it a little bit. But yeah, um, what was the question again? Sorry, I kind of like... <laughs> well, no, I, I'm wondering if you think, uh, do you think it was an in- intentional by Marvel uh, Studios to put those two people last to kind of signal to general audiences that like, you know, this is crazy that this is happening, but like, you know, they could have kept Spider-Man and Black Panther alive, right? They could have been the Mm -hmm. half of the universe that could have survived it. And then it would have looked more devastating that like, it would have seemed, uh, less people coming out of the theater, having the idea of like, Oh, they they have to correct that somehow. Right. That's where I think the emotional stakes of this movie sort of fail because we know that, this can't be a lasting consequence. We know that the good guys will win at the end. This is the an Avengers movie. Um, and that we know that these guys have several, so many movies ahead of them. So it does ring sort of false because you're like, oh, well, obviously they're not going to disappear for good. Um, and I wonder if they had kept them, then maybe would it have felt more like the stakes felt real? Um, so that's a good question, actually. But yeah, it's, it, and also the fact that they introduce at the beginning of the movie a, a gauntlet that can reverse time and bring back things. So I wonder how much of an impact it would have had overall, even if we had kept Black Panther and Spider-Man, just because we already have like a disex machina waiting for us. Ben, Chris, do you have any any thoughts on this? What do you think, Chris? Uh, yeah, in my review, I actually point this out that one of the problems I had with the film is that it's hard to get too emotional about, you know, everyone quote unquote dying for this very reason, you know, not just Spider-Man, but literally all the guardians of the galaxy, except rocket disappear. And we, we already know they're making guardians three. So what is the third movie just going to be rocket? Like that's not going to 
happens. So, well, and ne- plus, ne- Nebula too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but um, uh, I, I feel like part of the problem I have with the film is it does tip its hand a little bit onto how it's gonna how the next film is going to remedy everything. Like, not only do you know we know these characters are gonna come back. But there's that whole sequence where Doctor Strange, you know, he meditates and he sees millions and millions of different options on, you know, how the outcome of the battle is going to be. And he says, you know, there's only one outcome where we win. And then immediately after this, he gives Thanos that last stone, which is basically like a wink at the audience saying, oh, this is how I know eventually we're going to win. I'm I'm setting these events in motion. So. You know, I know why that stuff is in the movie to set up the next movie, the next film, but it, it bugged me a little bit that it just felt like it was too, too much winking at the audience to let them know that you know don't get too upset, we're gonna undo all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think intellectually, I agree with all of what both of you just said, um, but I still was was really moved by that Spider-Man moment. Like in spite of myself, in spite of the knowledge that I have about the future of this franchise and and basically like the common sense business aspect of like, yeah, of course they're going to keep making Spider-Man movies. But I think, Peter, to your question, I think that's probably, um, you know, it works on on three different kinds of audiences, right? There's, there's us, the people who follow the stuff very, very closely. And it was sort of a surprise to us that, Black Panther and Spider-Man were gone because of what we've been talking about. We assumed that the movie would uh, sort of play the game, so to speak, where they they would keep them alive and kill off somebody like Captain America or Iron Man, these, these more uh, vintage legacy characters. And then it works also for people who go in and just see some of the Marvel movies who, who have no idea that these other films are even in production at all or, or will be, you know, the people who basically go into the theater and only know about new movies from the trailers that play in that, that screening, you know? So I I think for those people, it probably did have a lot of impact because they just don't really think beyond the movie that they're in the theater to see on that given day. And then there's like the people who are more in between who maybe started out as like the group that I just mentioned. But then as soon as you walk out of the theater, they, think about it a little bit more and realize that like, oh yeah, Marvel's not going to leave money on the table by never making a sequel to Black Panther. Of course, Black <laughs> Panther is probably going to come back. So yeah, I think it works sort of across the spectrum. Uh, I, I do have a couple thoughts on this that I want to relay before, you know, Avengers Infinity War talk uh, dies down. And that is, um, do you think there's a possibility that in Avengers 4, they are able to reverse who is dead and who is alive in, in this, this end sequence? Uh, in that, I mean, you know, uh, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark would be the ones that have to end up sacrificing some, themselves to have all the people that had disappeared be alive. Mm, yeah, that, I mean, that would certainly be a dramatic way at, to end the movie, and it would provide it with conceivably some some legitimate stakes. You know, that's something that I think this movie has been knocked for because of what we've been talking about. We know that it's going to resolve itself somehow, but what if that resolution involves the actual final sacrifice of a lot of these other characters in order to save the others? Yeah, that's a good way uh, for them to actually make it mean something, I think. And uh, another thing I wanted to bring up is uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker's last moments. He's he's there kind of like shaking for like an extended period of time where, where other people kind of like just disappear into dust before they realize what's happening. Um, 
And I, I've seen people complain about this. To me, I wanted to just express to me, I, I could be making this up in my mind. <laughs> this might not be the atten- intentions of the screenwriters and the filmmakers. But to me, Peter Parker is getting the spidey sense, knowing what is happening around him in the universe, sensing, you know, this, uh, you know, half the universe getting erased from existence and that like he's not feeling it like he's reacting to that at first before he actually and anybody have any thoughts on that that is deeply deeply nerdy peter yes i think it's totally possible <laughs> do anything you set your mind to to Okay, uh, one other thing I want to bring up that came out uh, over the weekend is uh, The New Yorker, uh, a critic uh, named uh, what, Richard Brody, uh, published a review. He, he, he was not a fan of, of this movie, um, but The New Yorker tweeted out a quote from his review that said, In Avengers Infinity War, characters aren't introduced. They just show up, and their behavior is entirely defined by the template set for them in other movies unquote uh his review kind of goes on to complain that uh you know these there's no setup in this movie it's all elsewhere like character motivations and uh pop you know all that stuff i'm wondering because you know i tweeted out that uh basically calling it stupid on twitter a bunch of people got upset with me because uh some smart people like film crit hulk uh, noting that, um, you know, you go watch Return of the Jedi and technically, I mean, it would be, it would help you if you have seen A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, but you can go into that movie and the backstory that is in that movie is kind of presented in a way that you could just see that movie as the first movie. Uh, whereas this critic is complaining that this could not be watched as the first movie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I was, I was curious to hear your thoughts, Chris. Um, first of all, uh, Richard Brody, uh, even though he's a critic, I almost never agree with. He's he's a very good film critic. He's very smart. He knows a lot about movies. So uh, I don't want to poo-poo him too much. But um, uh, I will say uh, I do think sort part of this argument is a little silly. But at the same time, I do think he has somewhat of a point. I do agree that the film is very abrupt in how it gets all the characters into the story. Um, you know, I'm not saying the film needed to, you know, stop and reintroduce us all to all these characters again, because that would be insane. There's just too many characters to do that. But I do think it could have been handled just a little bit better. But I also feel like uh, he he's approaching this uh, in a different sort of way. He's approaching it not the same way that, the screenwriters are approaching this sort of storytelling. This is, you know, a very long form sort of storytelling over a period of films. It's like, it's more like TV than a movie really. So, uh, you know, I, I see where he's coming from. I don't entirely disagree with him, but I also do feel like it's not as huge of an issue as he's making it sound like. HT, do you think that we, we've entered a new, uh, era of storytelling where you know it's more of a serialized tv kind of thing oh i think we entered that long ago i think the marvel cinematic universe definitely perfected that and a lot of other movie franchises are starting to sort of take notice um i will say about this review that i don't entirely disagree with it either 
So I do think Richard Brody takes a sort of condescending uh, tone with the entire MCU. I do think he makes some good points about the sort of serialization of um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe films and how they do sort of follow like a certain template. You do kind of know what the structure of the story will be. Um, But like, I don't think that's a bad thing overall. I do think that, you know, this movie did feel like a season finale for a really epic TV show. Um, And um, that's what Marvel has done so well. I mean, the fact that they have gotten consistently good movies uh, for the past 10 years and they've gotten tons of audiences in for this movie, which requires at least you to watch like for you to watch at least half of the other films uh, is kind of amazing um, in that itself. But yeah, it does. He does make good points, but um, I do think that the, like you said, the way that he approaches it is a little bit um, abrasive. It's interesting that you call it a season or compare it to a season finale of television because it even has that cliffhanger that most season finales have. Exactly. I mean, like it felt this is kind of a weird comparison, but at some points I felt like I was watching an old episode of Justice League. Like, you know, the uh, Justice League animated series. I was like, oh, this feels like something that was like a set piece out of Justice League Unlimited or something like that, which is not a bad thing to say. It was something that I really enjoyed and kind of invoked this really um, this emotion out of me that I felt as a kid in terms of like, what's going to happen next? Where where will my favorite characters go? Um, And I think that's what the Marvel Cinematic Universe does so well. But I think as a movie and as a movie critic from Richard Brody's perspective, uh, he has some good points. Okay, I have one last thing. I know we're going a little bit long here, uh, but I wrote up this article, Avengers Infinity War has a few MCU continuity errors. Let's nitpick them uh, on the site, which you can read now. I will link it in the show notes. Um, I won't go over all of them, but I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, kind of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, because I think um, we th- there was an Easter egg in uh, Thor 1, where we saw the Infinity Gauntlet with all the gems in Odin's vault. And by we saw, I mean you have to pause the movie at the exact frame. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's very, very like hard to see in the background. It's not something that like I think 99% of audience members would see. Uh, Marvel addressed this later on with Kate uh, Blanchett's uh, character, Hela, um basically raiding Odin's vault and she like sees the infinity gauntlet there and throws it to the side, calling it fake, uh, which is a clever way of addressing it because a lot of fans were like, why is the infinity gauntlet there with all the whatever? And uh, it, that movie basically kind of uh, presents Odin as like the kind of guy that would, you know, make a fake infinity gauntlet to, uh, you know, scare the Asgardian people and the, the people of the other worlds into, you know, thinking he's more powerful than he is, uh, which is interesting. So, okay, this is all a setup for me to ask you. Uh, in Infinity War, we see Thanos, uh, or we don't see him, but we see the aftermath of him going to that planet where Peter Dinklage's dwarf character is and, uh, him forcing him to make the infinity gauntlet. So I'm wondering if this infinity gauntlet existed in the MCU or a version of this infinity gauntlet existed in the MCU 10 years ago, uh, when, you know, during the events of Thor one, uh, how is it that Thanos is just making one now? Like is, could there be any possible explanation for this error in, uh, continuity? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was the, the first thing I was thinking when we were talking about this in our Slack channel earlier was like maybe he commissioned this years and years ago because we know that he was working with Loki in the events of the Avengers, which was six years ago. So maybe he had the, the designs of, you know, getting all of these gems early on and just wanted to make sure that his gauntlet was ready for when he finally managed to achieve that. We also know that he's like been frustrated this whole time because he wanted to have these infinity stones way sooner than he eventually got them. So yeah, I don't know, that's an interesting question. It's also strange because, you know, there's this end title sequence on age of Ultron that features uh, Thanos basically pulling the gauntlet out of like some kind of vault and putting on his hand and saying, you know, fine, I'll take care of this myself. And by himself, he means the Dark Order and his kids. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. I remember asking the, the, the writers about this on the set of Infinity War, and they basically, uh, Stephen McFeely said, not our movie. And then Christopher Marcus said, and we've all sat there and went, what the hell is he talking about? Where was he when he did that? <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. Did, didn't we have a discussion a while ago that was talking about how the end credit scenes aren't technically canonical? I yeah. felt like we talked about this. I know. think that was brought up in our Slack channel. I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, that, that's where I was leading this too. Do you do you, do oh, you take uh, do you take the end credit scenes to be canonical? Uh, because I mean, obviously, that's where we first saw Thanos. That is, uh, you know, there are there is bits of information. There's obviously that scene from. What it was in Ant Man, but it was for Captain America: Civil War that was at the end of the credits. So that's obviously mm -hmm. from the movie. That's canonical. Uh, ben, are end credit scenes in these uh, Marvel <laughs> movies canonical? Yeah, we definitely talked about this in in a, an episode of the podcast oh, as well. And I, yeah, and I think um, I, I I think it's sort of like uh, on a case by case basis. That's I, that may be the the consensus that we came to. I don't recall if that was just my thought or if that's what everybody agreed on. But yeah, I think like in the examples that you just mentioned, there are some that are clearly you know that fall perfectly in canon and then there are others like that ultron one that the writers are like what the hell is this it's just sort of like uh i think it's like a spot for each filmmaker to add their own little touch to things um and, and in the earlier movies it made sense because it was more like laying the foundation for the characters that we you know like thor's hammer showing up in the new mexico desert and stuff like that it was like a, a direct yeah. tease for the following movie and since the Guardians movies, especially Guardians Volume 2, really just sort of like went, got crazy with their post-credit scenes. I think there were like six post-credit scenes in that movie. Um, yeah, it's just sort of like a, an extra playground for them to do whatever they want in. And then Marvel can go in and retcon the events of those a lot easier than they can retcon something that actually happened within the body of the film. And it, it's actually kind of crazy. If you rewatch the first Avengers film, the Joss Whedon Avengers film, uh, that, that Thanos uh, end credit scene kind of in, it suggests that Thanos's motives in this whole thing is to rule Earth. Uh, and like uh, the other guy there uh, says, you know, the, the humankind is unrulable, you know. So I don't know. It just seems like we give Marvel a lot of credit. For, uh, you know, his long-term story planning, which, you know, I give him a lot of credit, but it's just interesting how much uh, evolution they do along the way, almost like a TV series, you know, like how Lost started out as one thing and became another. Um, 
Uh, and these aren't things that I necessarily really have a problem with. Uh, I just thought there were like nitpicks that I came up with. There's also like a, a little bit of a change in Gamora's backstory. You can read about it on the site. I think we're already going long, uh, but I would be interested to hear what you guys think of that. Uh, uh, send us emails, peter at slash home.com, or, or you can comment in the comments on the site as well. And that does it for today's edition of Slash Home Daily HT. Where can people find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Ben, where can people find more of your work? You can find me writing at SlashFilm as well, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can I find you? Uh, also SlashFilm uh, on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me at Slash Film on Twitter, SlashFilm.com. All the stories we talked about today linked in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please, if you have a question, comment, concern, send it to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go write and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.